welcome to Sunday Social Not. Not, not nearly anything out there in the entire world of music comes close to being as good a way to start a show as a bit of Talking Heads. Girlfriend is better. I'm Vaughan Davis with you right through until 8 o'clock. Show number 202, we count them, in Sunday Social. I'd love you to text me, become part of the show. 3920, keyword live, gets you up on the screen. In front of me, you can tweet me at Vaughan Davis, and that works too. Later on, later on, we've got internet and Twitter rock star Anna Connell with an app, an app for bug fans, and there's plenty of bug fans out there. Um, the download on why Amazon's Alexa is getting a little bit creepy, and the answer, the answer if you've always wanted to use your digital device in the shower. First, though... think about video games, you know, the first place our minds go are big space guns, exploding aliens and uh, and possibly all other varieties of mayhem. Well, there's a company in Dunedin aiming to change all that. The name of it is Runaway Games and its community manager slash narrative designer, Lisa Blakey, has kindly, kindly risen from a sickbed to join us. How are you, Lisa? I'm good. Yeah, despite the sickness, I'm good. I'm surviving. <laughs> you there's there's nothing there's nothing better for a cold than uh, than 20 minutes on the radio. So runaway yeah, runaway games. Tell me tell me about the company itself. Why it exists. How it came to be. Yeah, sure. So we're a company based um, down here in Dunedin. Um, Runaway started uh, back in 2010, I think it was. Um, so we actually began as a division um, of Natural History New Zealand, the um, television production company. Um, so that was the initial pitch, um, was that we wanted to make games uh, inspired by nature. And that's what we do. Um, eight years later. <laughs> so, so most games, um, you know, the only the only role that nature plays in them is you get to choose whether you're running through a, a desert or a, a jungle before you shoot someone in the head. Um, <laughs> you take you take a, a somewhat different approach, right? Yeah. So, like, uh, our games are kind of based on more of a relaxing sort of um, chill out time um, that people can just kind of carry around in their pocket and go to whenever they want. Um, the the kind of um, nurturing based games have really like risen in popularity um, recently, which is really cool. So but we started yeah about like five or so years ago with that. So nurturing games, um, yeah. that, that's a, that's an unusual kind of uh, that's a phrase I haven't heard before because when I you know other than shoot 'em ups, when I think of games, yeah. I also think of racing games, which are very competitive, sweaty palms. Uh, I think <laughs> I think of um, those you know just addictive but meaningless games like Candy Crush and Angry Birds, which sure, you, know, yeah. you just can't put down. What's what is a nurturing game? Um, so I guess it's like um, something that's more kind of chilled out and it's I mean I mean I kind of would say that a lot of mobile games have um kind of this nurturing base um but there are also games like uh, I guess like Animal Crossing is one where you sort of you're t you're looking after this little town of animals 
Um, I guess Farmville is another one um, that could be seen yeah. as a nurturing game. Which was which was one of the very first um, big games on Facebook. You know, hey, yeah, absolutely. You know, Lisa just planted her pumpkins. Come and see Lisa's pumpkins. It was just yeah, for sure. It got a bit much, didn't it? It was. I was definitely um, addicted to that game. Well, (laughs) and and, and then one of my favourite games of all time sprung out of it, which was a parody game. And I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's so-called called called Cow Clicker. And all you had to do, and it was just a a commentary on that sort of game, all you had to do was every hour or so you had to click on your cow or it died. So, yeah, absolutely. So, so five, five years, well, eight years ago, um, spun off from Natural History NZ, decided to make nurturing games. What was the, so were you there from the start, Lisa? I wasn't. Um, so I've been at Runaway for about two and a half years. Okay. But you've, you've, um, got, you've got the culpapa down, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so <laughs> what, what, was the, what was the first sort of game off the rank? Um, so the first game, uh, I believe, was Flutter for Facebook. Um, so that was around yeah, the time of like Farmville, which was, um, you know, super popular. Um, Facebook games were kind of all the rage um, and then moved into mobile gaming um, and created a version of Flutter for mobile. Um, and then from there, we've gone and done Splash, which is a nurturing game about uh, like raising uh, underwater creatures and fish. Um, and then Flutter Starlight, which is a game about raising moths. <laughs> So, Flutter was the, was was the very first game. It's it's still yeah. going. It's still front and centre um, on your website and and in your sort of marketing efforts. And and we'll talk about the virtual reality aspect of it soon. But just yeah. take me through Flutter. What what is this game about? How do how do we play yeah, it? What's sure. what's in it for me if I play? So Flutter um, for Facebook doesn't actually exist anymore. <laughs> um, but that one was completely different to the mobile version. Um, so mm-hmm. Flutter Butterfly Sanctuary is a mobile game um, and essentially it's just about collecting uh, different species of butterflies um, and so we also run like in-game events where you can collect um, butterflies for you know kind of a limited period of time that is sort of like the rarer species of butterflies um, but I think there's over like 300 species now we've got in the game. So it was sort of Pokemon before Pokemon, wasn't it? Or before it's, before yeah, Pokemon Go, Pokemon. anyway. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm guessing um, just based on you know the chat we've had so far that yeah, you know, when you say collect butterflies, you don't mean put them in a jar of ether, kill them, and, and <laughs> pin them to a virtual board. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing you collect them and they they remain virtually alive. Yeah, so you have this um, rainforest environment that you start off really small and then eventually expand um, with how many butterflies you collect. So they all um, yeah, flutter around in their little environment um, and you can also like decorate it with um, like uh, different species of plants and that kind of thing. So um, nat- Natural History New Zealand was, was um, your, your parentage. I'm guessing then that uh, authenticity and accuracy are quite important at Runaway? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have Jonas, um, who is like a researcher who does all of the fact-checking on all of the species um, and he writes all the facts in the game and works really closely with the art team to make sure that everything looks as you know as close as possible to the real thing. Um, it's just the caterpillars um, and the chrysalis that are a bit cartoony, but all the butterflies we try to stay true to size um, as well as the patterns on the wings. 
Now, you mentioned the rainforest, and I'm guessing you're not meaning the West Coast rainforest. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. because, you know, New Zealand butterflies, I hate to be unpatriotic, and maybe I'm just not looking in the right places, they're a little, yeah. bit, they're a little bit drab compared to some others. So you're taking a, a, an international approach to this. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, butterflies from all over the world. Interestingly, though, New Zealand has some really cool moth species, <laughs> which is cool. And that's what led you to the, uh, the follow-on game, right? Yes, yeah, so that was kind of motivated um, a lot by our player base as well. Um, they constantly were asking, oh, what about a nighttime version of Flutter with moths? And we were just kind of like, yeah, that's a great idea, let's do it. <laughs> isn't, isn't it funny, though, uh, um, you know, people who, people who think uh, butterflies are the most wonderful things in the world and will let them, you know, yeah. settle on their hand while they're eating their lunch, will we'll, we'll find a moth in their curtain and go, Ooh! Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's kind of like one of the goals that we wanted um, to do with Flutter Starlight as well, is kind of give people a new appreciation for, yeah, moth species as well. So who's playing these games? Who's collecting these virtual butterflies, these these virtual moths? Yeah, um, so a main demographic are actually um, 25 to 35-year-old North American females. Um, That's quite specific, isn't it? It is, yeah, so... Yeah, most of our player base are um, a female demographic, which I think often gets kind of overlooked um, in gaming. Um, it's kind of a demographic that's not really catered to, which is something that we're really proud of um, at Runaway, that we do have this really passionate um, demographic that gives them something to play that they enjoy. So knowing that about your audience, which, you know, back in the olden days when, you know, games came in cereal boxes and cost $120, yeah. you, you probably don't believe me, um, <laughs> it, it, it would be kind of hard for a developer to know who ultimately was buying their games, you know, because they get shipped off through a distributor or a retailer and eventually they'd get bought. But you know, you know, that your games are being played by North American women, 25 to 35, how does that influence uh, the, the development process? Just because you always, you know, you like to have in, in mind who your customer is. So with, with that yeah. in mind, what, what does that change? What does that affect? Um, I mean, I suppose it just kind of relates to the design decisions. I mean, like, you know, people in the team are, you know, women themselves, and we just kind of create games that we would want to play um, ultimately. Um, I think when they created... Flutter, they didn't really have a demographic in mind, but um, it just got, kind of got taken up by this really passionate fan base and they've been loyal to us, you know, ever since, which is amazing. So I think as well, the demographic on Facebook, um, you know, it is, it is people my age, but also like um, my mum's age who are super active on there. So one of your roles is community manager, and you, and you mentioned earlier on that these games create communities around them. Tell, tell me what that means. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, the role of community manager is essentially, I put it, to making sure that our players are happy. <laughs> um, and often, you know, gaming kind of does get this bad rep of um, having really toxic communities, um, but we're really lucky enough that our players are super super kind and, you know, thoughtful and really caring of each other. They're always wanting to help players out um, and new players as well coming into the game. Like, our Facebook pages are really active for that. Um, but I think as well we have, like, community events and games, so it's like collective kind of sharing of the game experience itself. And, and of course, the common, you know, misconception is you see someone sitting at their laptop or sitting at their phone and you think, hey, they're disconnected, they're alone, why aren't they interacting with people? But it, actually they are, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like, I, I totally agree with that. 
um, particularly when you're playing a game as well, it can seem like it's being isolated, but you don't realise that you're actually interacting with other players as well. So one of the developments in, in Flutter is taking it into the virtual reality space. Tell me how that works. I can, you know, we understand a game on your laptop, we understand a game on your phone. What's a virtual reality game look like? Yeah, sure. So virtual reality, or VR, as you know, we like to shorten it to, <laughs> is, um, it's kind of become uh, a lot more hyped and popularised in the past sort of two or three years. Um, and so we actually developed for uh, mobile VR. So essentially you download the game on uh, a mobile device and you put it into a separate headset. Right, so I've, I've, I've played with these. This is, um, yeah. so one of them's called, well, one platform's called Google Cardboard. And yes, it literally yeah. is that, right? You get a press-out kit, you fold a few bits, put a couple of lenses yeah. in, and, and you basically strap your phone to your face. What, what happens yeah. then? What am I seeing in this game? Yeah, so it's essentially um, like 360-degree view of um, what you are looking at in a virtual environment. We actually, yeah, prototyped on the Google Cardboard, and it's accessible to anyone. Um, I think you can buy it from anywhere, basically. Um, but, yeah, so we developed for Google Daydream, which is um, kind of, I mean, yeah, a step up from Google Cardboard, I suppose you could say. Yep. Um, and the reason we did that um, was for... It's, a, it's very accessible. Um, it's not as intimidating as the kind of um, like full-scale room VR where you can walk around the environment um, and sort of interact with things. Um, so Flutter VR is designed more for sitting down and looking around and using the controller to um, explore the environment um, just at your own pace. So, so literally, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm holding my, my phone in its cardboard holder up to my face. As I yep. move my head left or right or up and down, I'm, I'm exploring visually the world, you know, full of, full of fish or full of butterflies or yeah. <coughs> full of moths. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, and has the, the VR side of it been popular with your 25 to 35-year-old North American woman? Um, we've actually had a varying demographic, um, I think because the platform is quite new and perhaps not as accessible as, you know, you say mobile games or um, browser games and that kind of thing, but we've had really positive feedback, um, which is amazing. Talking to Lisa Blakey from Dunedin-based Runaway Games, back soon. It's Sunday Social with Vaughan Davis on Radio Live. Welcome back to Sunday Social. I'm talking to Lisa Blakey from Dunedin-based Runaway Games about their range of immersive nature-based games featuring butterflies, fish and <laughs> moths. Welcome back, Lisa. Hi. <laughs> hey, one of the things you touched on, I, I want to dig deep on this because this is, uh, you know, we've just had International Women's Day. One of the things you touched on was the uh, female audience you have, which is unusual for games, although you know the, the numbers are higher than we think, your female workforce, but also what you described as the toxicity in online gaming communities. Let's talk about that. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, being a community manager, you it's kind of interesting introducing myself as that, because people often say to me, oh, I could never do your job. It must be so hard and horrible. Like, um, just because games have got that stereotypical uh, kind of bad rap of having toxic competitive communities, um, which I think is true in some cases, but also not a blanket kind of statement for who plays games. Mm -hmm. um, particularly, you know, like I said, uh, 
audience is completely different. Um, and in the competitive scene, you know, sometimes there's a bad rep for people who play um, a lot of online games. Um, it's been a lot of, you know, cases of harassment and that sort of thing. But I do think it's genuinely getting better with these kinds of conversations around, you know, support and kindness and playing games and also just diversity in the industry and player base itself. Yeah, because, you know, when, you know, someone my age certainly thinks of gaming, I, I didn't play with any uh, any girls when I was a, you know, teenage gamer. And yes. but, but, you know, fast forward 20 years to 30 years, um, when I look at, um, you know, um, online gaming tournaments, you know, the boys lining up and, and, and playing Warcraft or whatever it is they're playing, uh, or League, League, League of Legends, um, yes. it's just benches of boys. So, is, is, yeah, how, how does the, how does this culture relate to the the gender imbalance? Yeah. So, yeah, you say talk about the gender imbalance. So, the kind of rough statistics for how many people or how many women actually play games is around forty five percent, which is interesting because I think that goes with you know the different platforms of games. Like you say, the competitive games are normally. Um, heavily male-dominated, but also in that space there are a lot of um, women-run and led tournaments um, specifically for women to come into that space um, and feel welcomed and safe because it can be very intimidating when it's, you know, heavily male-dominated. So there are a lot of movements in those kinds of spaces to try and get um, more women into that aspect of super competitive gaming um, and not just kind of like casual or mobile that is often associated with women gaming, and it's not just the the players; it's the the developers, right? So yeah, I, I, I read somewhere that twenty twenty two percent of game developers are women, whereas yeah. you know the the number for players is twice as twice as high. So that it's that's huge, a bit of a, yeah. an imbalance, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's actually it's even less in New Zealand um, with seventeen percent um, women in the industry, but. We are definitely trying to change that. <laughs> well, one, one of the ways you are trying to change that, and this is sort of, uh, as I understand it, it's sprung out of Runaway Games, is um, the movement of girls behind the games, right? Yes, yeah. T- tell us about that. Yeah, cool. So, essentially, um, it kind of sprung out of just having a conversation. We were all in a meeting one day, um, and we just kind of noticed that it was all women um, in a meeting at a games company. We was like, oh, this is kind of cool. This kind of wonder if that's sort of normal in other um, game companies. Spoiler, but we it's also, not normal. Yeah, yeah. Um, also just the kind of lack of diversity and, yeah, particularly with gender parity in the gaming industry was pretty apparent for us, um, especially when we would often say, oh, you know, like our managing director and creative director are both women and we're very close to gender parity at Runaway. It was seen as quite unusual. Um but I think sort of the tipping point for us was we uh, went to the local Otago University to help the computer science students with their gaming projects, mm-hmm. um, and the class was just full of full of men. Um, and we thought, okay, how how do we, you know, encourage more women into gaming? Um, and kind of our um, previous marketing director Leanne sprung up this idea of um, starting a hashtag Girls Behind the Games and just seeing if anyone would be willing to share their stories in the industry. Uh, and then it sort of just completely blew up and became viral. Um, and so we've been running this campaign for about a month now, I think. And what sort of stories have been coming out? Um, it's been really amazing, actually. Uh, we've had 
stories from you know really huge companies like Supercell and um, Bioware and Google Play and that kind of thing, um, just highlighting the women at their industry and how it is actually you know really supportive and cool space for women to be working in. Um, and oh, just so sort of po- like, so, so, so positive stories. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So just highlighting the you know positive aspects of working in games and how cool it is to be working with different women and different in so many different positions, you know, not just programming, but also like community management and marketing and also writing and that kind of thing. So Runaway Games has clearly cracked the formula or maybe you've just had, you know, dumb luck. <laughs> Let, let's assume you've cracked the formula. What What is it that you guys have done to get more women into into this industry that, you know, the other um, develop, you know, developer companies clearly aren't doing? Sure. Um, I think it honestly comes down to just like really um, good hiring um, and actually actively going out there and changing our job descriptions to not seem as sort of intimidating and just actively saying, it. you know, we value gender parity and we really encourage people from all different backgrounds to apply. Um, but we've also been involved in uh, organisations like Shadow Tech, which is um, organised by the Women in Tech um, New Zealand, where uh So high school girls come into a workplace and spend the day and see what it's like. Um, And we've also been really involved with the computer science girls group at Otago as well. So just actively going out there and seeing what other groups are available and keen to, you know, share about the industry is super important. And that that almost kind of answers my next question because we've talked about how you were working on the demand side. But as... Um, illustrated by your story of going to that computer science class, the supply side is has got a real problem too. And I, I think I, I think I read that um, women studying computer science sort of peaked in the in the nineties, maybe. And then it's been yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. You, you've obviously thought about that more than I have. What's what's behind that? Do you think? Um, I mean, I honestly, I don't think I can really pinpoint it to anything. I think um, perhaps it's sort of like the tech boom. Uh, in America that has kind of um, sprung up those like job opportunities that became so heavily male-dominated. Um, but I'm not, yeah, I'm not actually 100% sure. <laughs> but but down, down in Dunedin, we're doing, we're doing what we can, and starting a worldwide movement, right, which is... Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Which is, which, which is a, a heck of a thing. So if, if um, you know, a, a young woman is listening or um, parents or grandparents with, uh, you know, um, granddaughters or daughters and they want yep. to encourage them to move into this industry to give it a go, what, what's, what's the, the best bit of advice you could give? Um, probably the best thing um, is something that my parents did um, was not discouraging playing video games, <laughs> um, which maybe sounds kind of unusual. It kind because of goes against most parenting advice, doesn't exactly, it? Exactly, exactly. Like, often it's kind of stereotyped as, you know, a waste of time, but it's just absolutely not. It's just as enriching as reading a book or watching a film or going to a play. It's just in a different media. Um, but also, I know that the thing that parents worry about the most is jobs. Yep, <laughs> and yep. I just want to say that they are readily available in New Zealand. Um, the industry is growing every single year. Um and so don't worry about that. <laughs> Lisa, Lisa Blakey, you've given me uh, hope for the future and actually reinforced my, my own parenting policies. Um, <laughs> Excellent. From Runaway Games, thank you so much for joining us on Sunday Social. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, and you can listen back to that uh, Lisa Blakey interview at radiolive.co.nz under...
Sunday Social. And, uh, of course, it's on iTunes as a podcast. After the break, Anna Connell, fresh from the internet, live in the studio, and she's going to tell us exactly how you can use your device in the shower without hurting it. Back soon. Your portal to the world of tech and social media. It's Sunday Social with Vaughan Davis. <laughs> on Radio Live. <laughs> well, Anna Connell, that's just a little bit weird, that demonic laughter in the background, isn't it? It is a bit creepy, isn't it? And it's not a human. <laughs> it's, let's, let's just listen uh, one more time. It's clearly not a human. Well, it's not a human, but this is Sunday Social. We talk about technology and the leading edge of technology. I've boldly stated for 2018, I did say it for 2017 as well, is voice. Yes. So this, what you were hearing there was Alexa, which is Amazon's home voice system thing. thing. Um, and it's been having a little bit of a problem lately where it has just been randomly making that laughing noise um, unprompted, so really creeping people out. Which is quite understandable, really, because, um, you know, we know this, but uh, it's it's not until it sort of come true, comes true that it's brought home is... Alexa and Google Home and Apple HomePod are always, always, always listening yes. and ready to ready to speak or indeed demonically laugh at a, at a moment's notice. What 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 it turns out? Well, one theory one theory is that um, the Alexa speaker, which is a thing about the size of a beer can but bigger, or a double brown can, a double if, brown if, can, if, a bigger can. You you know what I'm talking I about? Do. About the size of a double brown can that sits there quietly, wait, waits for the uh, Hey Alexa um, prompt and then does stuff. And the theory is that it's been mishearing um, something as the command Alexa laugh. laugh. Mm. And, and sure enough, it's been doing it. Um, my, my, I've, I've, got a Google, uh, I've got yeah. a Google Home in my house, and it does it sometimes. It doesn't Just laugh. Just randomly. Yeah, it doesn't randomly laugh demonically, but uh, someone will say something, or the TV will say something, and Google Home will go, oh, oh it's me. Yeah, because I think, was it Burger King last year specifically created an ad that was designed to set off people's... Alexas or, or Google yeah. Homes, which yeah. is kind of creepy. I mean, I think the the thing is, is these stories have so much resonance because our greatest fear is that these um, these robots will become sentient and take over the world. So when Alexa starts doing something creepy like this, of course it gets a whole lot of traction. I mean, it turns out it was just a bug, right? I'm, I'm hoping these robots will become sentient and take over the world, then I won't need to do anything. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I'm currently, I'm currently secretly in charge of the world, but I'm, I'm in charge of the very small part of it that is known as my life. And, uh, in fact, I've got, I've got an example um, later on in the show about a robot that I have employed to help me with some things. Excellent. And, uh, and she's, by and large, by and large, she's doing okay. Okay. All right. Hey, um, I took a selfie. Uh, I took a selfie uh, before you came in. Um, you know me. Secret confession. Secret confession. <laughs> I, 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 well, I tweeted it. I tweeted it, so it's not so secret, uh, at Vaughan Davis. And, um, oh, and John Campbell liked it. Oh, that's nice. Every time it? he every time every time he hits like you sort of hear this little marvellous. You do, come, you do. Come, it's comes always, out of the phone. Which it's always special when John likes a tweet. Uh, uh, but um I looked at it and I went 
My nose isn't that big, and it seems that uh, I'm not alone. I'm no. not alone in that particular paranoia, proboscineal pro, paranoia. So your nose is not that big, and neither are the noses of people turning up to their plastic surgeons asking for nose jobs. So there's been some research done by Rutgers and Stanford. Now, which I'm, I'm just going to want to jump in there, because mm. Rutgers... And, well, Stanford in particular, these mm. are tippy-toppy-toppy very, very, very fancy-schmancy universities in the United States. Yes, this they is, are. This is not the Vaughan Davis Academy of Learning. This is the research they're doing. <laughs> they're researching, does my nose look big in this? Yeah, well, so because there was a genuine concern, people were turning up at plastic surgeons in America asking for nose jobs because of the way that their noses looked in selfies. And what they've um, turned up is the fact that actually, because most people are taking their selfies from a distance of kind of 30 to 40 centimetres, you just hold the sort of arms phone up, length. arms length, it's actually distorting the size of people's noses to make them 30% wider. And so people are getting unnecessary nose yes. jobs. But Let's be honest, is there any such thing as a necessary nose job? Well, there's, there probably are some cases where it could be necessary. I think there are medical reasons where it can be necessary. But, yes, so essentially they were just getting concerned about the number of people fronting for plastic surgery off the back of the way they looked in selfies, and it turns out we're all making our noses look 30% wider. There needs to be a filter. There needs to be. Well, you can use something like Facetune, which will alter. Which will, which will, which will, be, yeah. which will beautify your face. Or if you are a plastic surgeon who truly put the, um, you know, the well-being of your patient ahead of mm -hmm. the well-being of your bank balance, you could instead prescribe to a patient who came in with, you know, a selfie, se selfie, a selfie stick. You are way ahead of me. I know, well, because the you optimum distance... a selfie stick. So the optimum distance, apparently, to take a photo of your face is 150 centimetres. So the op the op optimum distance to take a photo of my face is 150 metres. <laughs> Don't be so hard on yourself. Oh, face well. for radio. Um, yeah, so that's, you know, that's alarming, isn't it, that... People are basing self-image self self off their selfies. Not, well, it's not surprising. And, and actually, circling right back round, actually, um, Stanford and Rutgers might have done what you know seems to be a trivial and, and pointless piece of research, but actually done some good. Yes, yeah. I mean, if they can make people realise that pictures are not, you know, what they appear to be, then... Then they've done a world they've of good. They've done a world of good, indeed. I wonder if this effect would be any different in the shower because, you know, things things are distorted when, when, <laughs> when, they're, when they're wet. When they're wet. Because um, that's refraction, right? We learned about that yes. in science, reaching for the fish. The fish is over there, not over there. Um, selfies in the shower. There's a problem with selfies in the shower, isn't there, Anna? There, well, there's a, there's a number of there's problems. A plethora, but a plethora. The main one is, is that water is not good for your phone. Water is not good for your phone. So there's two ways you can go with it. Well, three ways. One, don't take a selfie in the shower, you goober. <laughs> so that's probably 99% of the answer. Number two, um, shell out on a waterproof phone. Those are usually the really, really expensive ones, right? Yeah, how desperate do you have to be? How desperate? Or, or, Here for just go. 30 bucks, this is quite exciting, on Amazon, on Amazon, search for shower curtain with waterproof pocket. Yes. Ah, so this, so simple. Look, this sounds really stupid, right? And I am, I am an absolute fiend about stupid inventions. But I quite often have wanted to watch something in the bath. But 
it, in a bath, yes. Well, I mean, and I, um, for, a, for the longest time, when I had a regular work life, had to be at the office at a certain time, I would, you know, sleep into the last possible minute mm. and I would time my shower to listen to the radio news. Yes. So I had a, a little waterproof shower radio. Yeah. If it was 2018, I'd be wanting to watch something on the internet or listen to my phone. Yeah, so look, these shower curtains basically have got sort of little pockets that you can slide your devices. I imagine they're different sizes. So you can they are. There's a range. There's a range. But if you've, got, if you've got a bath and you have a shower curtain for that, then having somewhere you could just slide your iPad into and watch, say, Downton Abbey, then um, that would be perfect, wouldn't it? It really kind of would. And $30, I think, is uh, is probably money well spent. I might buy these as Christmas presents. Just, I think it's a great idea, and everyone will look at you weirdly, and you can tell them that it's not for taking pictures of themselves. And then I can, uh, yeah, I was going to say, I could, I, we, you know, I could Skype people from, from, from the bath. Yeah, although I have to say, like, in some of these things, like scroll through the news, I don't actually want to interact with the device while I'm in the bath. I don't want to have to reach up and do anything. I just want to sit there and watch it. Yeah. Well, well you know, watch TV news, listen to the radio, watch a you know, music video or whatever. Yeah. I don't want to be in the shower emailing people. Do you know what I mean? Well, you could. You could if you're using a, a really good voice agent. Right? True. So if, 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 if you're using voice, you're, you're sorted in the shower. You're yeah. sorted in the shower. Hey, now, speaking of voice, one I really want to talk about this is that this is, um, this is fascinating and it's worthy it's really cool. So there's um, a crowd called Tehiku Media, and they are a an iwi radio station. Um, they they cover a, a lot of ground up in Northland, and they are getting very much with the digital future. They are working right now on a Tereo Māori version of Siri, well, or Siri or yeah. you know, Google Voice Assistant or whatever. So far, so good. To do that, they've got to teach this artificial intelligence to, to learn mm-hmm. the language, right? And and the the danger is if they don't do it, Google or Apple will come, you know, um, galloping in, and they'll, you know, you, you, your device will say, "Tina koe." Oh, well, I mean, the job that Google Maps does on Māori place names and street well, names, they're, they're, they're Karanga. What is that? I can't even remember yeah, how she does Cape they, Road. They, they, <laughs> they, they are they are trying to get better, but um, the the danger is. And you know this is this is this future we speak about a lot, where that digital assistant, that Amazon Alexa or that Google Home, um, is is pretty much a member of the family sitting on your bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, the danger is it's it's the most um, fluent in, in air quotes um, today speaker in the house, and its style of speaking will become dominant, right? Yes, yeah. So what they're doing is teaching this artificial intelligence to uh, to learn how we all speak today good, bad, and ugly. So rather than, uh, you know, this is this, this is the news, the, the um, proper way to do it, it's learning how all sorts of New Zealanders, and I guess people from all around the world might speak it. I think it's a fantastic idea. It's, have you, have, you won't have had a play. You've been, you've been sitting on the couch watching reruns of Downton Abbey. No, you? but I did go and have a look at the little competition that they're running in association with it as well, which is really cool. Yeah, it is neat. So the, the, the basic, the basic uh, website, you just go to kareromaori.com and it will serve you, you know, you can either sign in or be an anonymous kumara, which I think is rather, rather sweet. <laughs> is that the anonymous Of, co- of course it is sweet. Um, <laughs> And it just gives you a, a phrase, which could be a phrase from history or a proverb or a piece of news or whatever, and you just read it in, and it absorbs it and goes, okay, well, that's how, you know, that dumb white guy from Ponsonby says it. That's one of many ways to say so it. So they're crowdsourcing. They're using, hoping that people will contribute 
in order to train the AI. Yeah, and they're getting thousands of people doing it. But yeah, competition, like, yeah. like you say. Yeah, so they're, they're also running a competition where you can win some money for um, your school or your community group or any of those kinds of things. They're running it for a week from the 15th of March to the 25th of March. Well, that's 10 days, isn't it, Anna? Um, and you need to have a group of at least seven people. So you, you have to sign up in a block of seven people. And basically they just want to try and get as many people as possible reading sentences. Um, so you need to get a little group of people they might, as you know, from a school or something that you're trying to fundraise from. And you can go in there and contribute and you might win, I think they've got 3000 2000 and $1,000 to give away. I think it's very cool. Um, very cool tech from, uh, from you know, a part of the country not usually known for very cool tech. No, the, I know. The, I think the, it's the really awesome. So the website is com. worth a crack. Hey, after the break, the app of the week, and it's um, oh, not one if you're, uh, if you're a bit uh, squeamish about the creepy crawlies. Back soon. The latest apps, the World Wide Web. It's Sunday Social with Vaughan Davis. Don't worry, be happy. There's a bazillion apps out there. Most of them are rubbish, but not the ones that we talk about on this show, huh, Anna? No, no. So I've got an app for you this week, which I am personally a little bit obsessed with. Um, it's not it's not new. It's been around for a little while. but It's, I, it's new to me. I only found out about it the other week as well. Um, so it's called iNaturalist, and it is... Um, if you've ever wanted to know exactly what that bug in your house is, you've now got a way of taking a picture of it, uploading it to this app, and then with the help of the New Zealand bug community, which is large, I did, I did not know, um, they will have a crack at identifying it, so within the app, and then people will come along and say, no, I think it's... Katie did something or other. The Lepidoptera anaconalis. Yeah, so it's been, um, I actually am not a big fan of bugs. Um, I get a bit freaked out by them. And so this has actually been quite good for maybe not overcoming that, but certainly being um, less of a dick about (laughs) being in my house. so I've done about four or five, I think. Oh, you've contributed. I've contributed, yes, yeah. So I've actually done a couple of Twitter because a few people who shall remain nameless, Paul Brislin, um, have uploaded a couple of pictures and then some people have given me some stick about being so pathetic about bugs. So some, some insect stick. <laughs> some a stick insect. Oh. Um, and so I've... I've taken little pictures of the bugs that they've found and identified and proven to them that I am indeed overcoming my fear of bugs. Well, the other thing it's done for me, just in half an hour looking through it this afternoon, is kind of changed my perspective on New Zealand fauna. Yes, so it's not just for bugs. They do flora and fauna as well. well, I was saying to Lisa Blakey in the first half, because, you know, one of the games they they make features butterflies, and I said, oh, New Zealand butterflies, boring. But I went to the butterfly. Actually, mm. I, I was very specific. There was a, some tab and then some tab within the tab on this iNaturalist app that was um, Lepidoptera of the Coromandel Peninsula. Lepidoptera being, you know, um, moths and yep. butterflies of the Coromandel Peninsula. This is quite specific. Oh, yeah. But it, there were hundreds of them. Yeah, and that's the thing that I found is that what you think is a bog-standard praying mantis or something, there's actually loads of different types of praying mantises in New Zealand 
and the community is really really active so within sort of 10 minutes of posting something and you identifying it often incorrectly um, they will come and correct you so it plugs into nature watch here so so iNaturalist kind of has an open API which means lots of Lots of other websites. Lots of local communities around the world can connect. To yeah, it. so they connect yeah. into it. So it's really specific to New Zealand, and it's the New Zealand community that are kind of um, observing what people are posting and, and and talking about it, which I think is fantastic. I think it's neat. It's it's a, it's a little bit um, twisty, turny, and hard to find things sometimes. But it's that's the nature of it, right? It's it's free. Yeah. It, it runs on generosity, and it and, and it runs on <laughs> it runs on the internet inherent um, willingness to correct something if you're wrong. Yeah, and I mean there must be a little something in the background though because when you do upload a picture for the first time they do have a crack at identifying it so I don't know whether there's some AI at play there or what but generally speaking you'll get the right identification if it, you go to the community. It's pretty cool and a really good one to uh, download ahead of you know next weekend and uh, you know go on a bit of a nature trek with the kids. Yeah. Oh, and it's geolocated too. So it, exactly. it, it serves up all the things that have been seen around you, you know, down to the next street. Hey, there was a, a you know, a particular moth. A or, common house fly. Or indeed a, <laughs> or, or indeed a brown algae seaweed. There, there was an entire section um, devoted. Yeah. To a spotter's guy. Yeah, it's awesome. Brown yeah, algae and it's free, so you can get it for. It's on iOS and Android, so I really recommend it. Yep. So the name of the app, I Naturalist, which is like iRobot except I Naturalist. Exactly. Cool. Hey, um, International Women's Day has been and gone, but um, we're still going to talk about lady stuff. That's we are. How, that's how generous yeah. I am. Oh God! Anna. Thank Anna. you, Anna. thank you, Vaughan. Oh, God, I hope everyone gets. The, <laughs> I hope everyone gets the eye rolls. I hope everyone can see my eye rolls. Yeah. Um, but. I saw this site before you uh, pointed it out because I thought it was rather cool too. Um, your site of the week. My site of the week is unidentified New Zealand women who have had enough of your shit. So this is very um, funny. It's an excellent effort from Digital New Zealand who uh, have run out of the National Library, I think. And it's so this is, a gov- this is a government website this is a government with, the, with, website. The, with the word shit in it. Yeah, I know. Well, hey. Um, and they basically are trying to uh, pull together all of the, or digitise all of the collections of museums and libraries and did it up and down the country. Anyway, somebody, Jane Harris, I think, who uh, is on Twitter. Twitter. Harris, yeah. Harrisman? Yeah. Is that her name? Yeah, yes. so I think she pulled this together and she's basically gone through and found all of these pictures which are labelled unidentified women which, from which, our, which is just a cataloging thing this is a cataloging yeah. thing they don't know the name of the, the the woman in the picture and they're all from new zealand and they've all just got the most fabulous i've had a total guts full of this look on their faces um so i look i i recommend going and having a look at it just for a bit of a laugh it's really really good they're, these women just they're just like fed up they're, they're so over it um, and they're all historic pictures and it's just a wonderful kind of curation of, of um, existing digital archive that we have so I think if you head to digitalnz.org slash stories it should be sitting there near the top and you can find it there and, and digitalnz.org um, itself is, is why well, I found out again this afternoon quite a fascinating bloody website. It's an amazing resource isn't it? Just There's yeah. all sorts of stuff. Oh, here's, our, here's our take home message for tonight. The internet. It's, there's, there's, <laughs> the internet's it's so, so much. cool. <laughs> there's so much good stuff on it. In fact there's too much stuff on it and there's too much stuff going on and one of the areas in my life I promised you I'd talk about my um, artificial woman servant and there's a gender issue there, which <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about yeah, as well. Yeah, I've seen you talking about yeah. that lately. Um, 
I have employed, and employed for $17 a month, uh, I have employed an artificially intelligent agent to manage my calendar. Mm. Her name is Amy. She can be Andrew, but she defaults to Amy because I'm a boy. (sighs) That's highly problematic. Um, But what she does is using natural language and access to my calendars and access to my emails arranges meetings for me. So if I want to arrange a meeting with you, I could mm-hmm, just email mm-hmm. you and say, hey, Anna, when you're free, oh, I can do Tuesday or Wednesday, but not Friday. And you and I might have a few emails backwards and forwards. We'd eventually come up with a time. Well, yeah, well, that, actually, I hate that process. That was the old way. The new way, Amy will, uh, I will email you and CC Amy and say, um, hey, uh, Amy, please set up a meeting between me and Anna sometime next week. Amy can see my calendar, and Amy takes it from there. And you and Amy. <laughs> oh, what? So Amy can't even see my calendar. So she's just, well, she you're the only one that hasn't, doesn't have to do anything. Well, yeah, there's a bit of a power imbalance. Um, so in theory, if the whole world was on Amy, she could see your calendar, you know, if you were a user too, and she'd go, you know what? I think you two should meet Tuesday at 9 a.m. at Vaughan's favourite cafe. Okay. And, and she'd make it happen. But, you know, the unintended consequence is... I'm just, you know, blissfully waiting for the replies mm. to come back from Amy. And she'll, she'll, she'll actually put it in my diary and things, so that all works. And her natural language understanding is really good for understanding what the emails are all about. Um, but the people I'm trying to meet with will receive five or six or ten emails from her. Oh, no. To try and set up this simple, jolly meeting. And this, this, the example I, I give is, is one where there's, you know, two or three people meeting with me at the same time. But uh, interesting idea, x.ai is the website. Uh, Amy or Andrew is uh, waiting, waiting to do your evil bidding at just $17 a month. Um, Maybe just wait till she's a bit better. Yeah, I hope she does get better because I like the idea of it. Uh, do you know what I should do? I should uh, I should get Amy to uh, arrange for all, all of you fine people to be back here next week at uh, 7 o'clock. Thank you so much, Lisa Blakey from Runaway Games, Anna Connell from The Internet, Sarah O'Dwyer in the booth, and next up, Graham Hill and the Weekend Variety Wireless. I'm Vaughan Davis, nighty-night.